We all know that old adage about history and its tendency to repeat itself. Well, a new historical fiction book reminds us why we need to be paying attention. This is Chapter 3 of Author Talks with Lisa T. And coming up, author Madeline Martin chats with me about her World War II novel, The Keeper of Hidden Books. Plus, she'll share why she can't write in public. In The Keeper of Hidden Books, you have characters who are a mix of fact and fiction. People who are based on real-life characters, people that you created for this particular story. It's set in Poland during the Nazi occupation, and it centers around this young woman named Sofia who joins the resistance, but is also focused on saving the books that the Nazis want destroyed. I guess my first question for you is, what drew you to this particular story in this time period? So, um... I actually have always wanted to write about Poland because my family is actually from Poland. Although now I I realize my family's from Poznan and being from Warsaw and being from Poznan are like saying you're from North America and it's like being American and being Canadian. Um, <laughs> so now I know that. But I'd always wanted to write a book in Poland um, just because I wanted to learn a little bit more about my heritage. And so um, I really started digging. And I also didn't really know very much about Poland during World War II, despite it really kind of being the catalyst for uh, for the onset of World War II kind of really starting. And so, um, you know, I, I started digging into it and I, I learned so much about the Polish underground, which was fascinating to me. And I was going to start writing about that and I actually had half of the book written. And then I found this incredible detail um, that were notes written down by the public Warsaw librarians. And, um, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is a story that I have to write. So I stopped I threw out the entire book and I started from scratch. My <laughs> gosh, I can't even imagine like you have this whole book written. It must be completely thrilling to find a nugget, but at the same time, completely frustrating to know that you have this whole book that you've already put on paper. Yeah, it was crazy. I also had, you know, initially it was going to be two POVs. It was going to be Yanina and Zofia. And then once I had the whole part about the public librarians and all of their efforts, I realized Already the story was so big, covering the war from the very beginning to the very end. And I, there were so many times that I felt like I was trying to crush lightning into a jar, you know. <laughs> and so then I realized once I had all this information about the the public librarians, I thought, I can't do two POVs. But, you know, initially, um, Zofia was a little bit of a harder character. And and it was perfect because Yanina really softened her up. And so then when I did it to one POV so I could fit everything I needed to, I had to change Sophia's character. So, I mean, it was a complete full rewrite. And I had to reach out to my publisher and say, um, can I get an extra month? <laughs> and fortunately, they let me have an extra month. Um, thank God. And I'm, I'm so happy with how it all really ended up turning out. I think it was like sort of destined to be this particular book. Well, I'm also glad to hear that I'm not the only one who didn't know of the story uh, of Poland during World War II. And and you have Polish heritage, and I don't. So. <laughs> yeah, you're absolved. <laughs> but, you know, I'm amazed every time a book like yours uh, like crosses my desk, only because you would think all these years later we've exhausted every single World War II historical fiction angle there is. And bullets keep popping up. Yeah. I know it's it's amazing. I mean, I and I actually have some little nuggets floating around in my brain for future ones also. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really and, you know, I think it's it's so wonderful, though, that we have this incredible opportunity and this amazing platform to share these stories that would otherwise have fallen in the cracks of time. Um, and I, I'm so honored to be a part of that. 
you're almost like an investigator, like digging through, you know, you're going investigator and- PI. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, your book is is at its core is really about the power of the written word. Right. I think it really resonates. I mean, I think it resonates with people like you and me and other book lovers out there just because of everything we're seeing nowadays with all these book bans and these fights against certain titles and certain subjects. And and that's what the Nazis were trying to do, too. They were right. trying to prevent certain ideas and per- certain subjects from being told. Are, after doing all that research and writing this book, are you surprised we are where we are now in, in this whole argument? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, you know, I actually I wrote this book um, specifically about World War II. Like there was no book banning agenda in my mind when I wrote this book. I didn't even make the correlation really until I was um, I had gotten my galleys back and um, I was procrastinating and I was like, oh, let's just see what the news is, what's going on in the news. And I happened to I'm in Florida. I happened to click on an article that was talking about these new books that had been banned. And only then did the timeliness of what I had written really strike home. Um, and, you know, to be honest, like, I kind of hope that because it wasn't written with an agenda, that it will be more profound because it's not it's not coming at, you know, at it like aggressively. It's just this is literally what people lived through and what was happening with these books. And um, and it really is honestly so heartbreaking to see it happening today with all the book banning and um and everything around it. And you do name um, the, the the type of books and the specific books that the Nazis were, were banning. And they're books that nowadays I think people might be surprised here only because we consider them classics. Right. My H.G. Wells or The Invisible Man or, or uh, Gulliver's Travels. And right. I think was Alice in Wonderland on the list as well. Maybe. I, you know, I can't. I always I always had to like research to double yeah. Whenever I was, it was a very carefully cultivated list that had a lot of research behind it. <laughs> and it wasn't just fiction. It was nonfiction books as well that dealt with certain subject matters. And I think the one thing that, that stuck out with me, and forgive me, I don't remember the name of the book, but it was a book that was banned just because of the title, because they didn't even care about the subject matter. They just saw the title and the title was offensive. So it had to go. It was like enemies in nature or something. And it was literally about birds. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is I um, so I, I like kind of scroll like, like I said, troll probably is the more appropriate word through Abe books sometimes just to sort of see if there's any book out there. Um, a majority of the books that I use for my research are oftentimes out of print. Uh, this particular time period or subject was really difficult, too, because um, after the Nazi occupation, Soviet Union really had control over Poland until like 1990. And so anything that was published in Poland, I had to be careful about using because it would have been censored. So um, so I, I happened to kind of be, you know, trolling through a books, And I found this one book called um, uh, or Nazi Culture in Poland. And it happened to be written in 1945. It was this sort of compilation of all of these spies who were sending information from Poland into um, the government in exile in England and talking about all of the what was happening during the Nazi occupation. And I mean, it was such a profound book. I mean, it's like it's like falling apart. It's this old book that they probably passed out like to talk about in a meeting. And and this profound opening really said, like, by the time that you've read this, almost everybody has been killed who had contributed toward the making of this book. Um, and, and they really they talked about every aspect of life, including libraries and bookstores. And I got a lot of my information from that. And um, and part of it is actually 
that's where it came from, where they were talking about how they had some of these ridiculous titles that they were pulling from the shelves and libraries that like literally weren't even offensive books. They're like this one happened to be about birds and nature. But because the title, you have somebody who's just going through these lists and just checking off this one sounds offensive. Do we know how many how many books were destroyed and and you know the to counter that how many books were were saved in Poland? I don't know how many were saved, but I know that uh, it was well over a million that were destroyed. Um, And, you know, the unfortunate part of that, too, is a lot of these books that were destroyed were ones that didn't have any replicas. So if you think about something from like the medieval days, for example, that somebody had handwritten, you know, you're not going to have a whole lot of different copies of that. So if that was destroyed, whatever was whatever content was in that book is gone forever. And, and there were so many bombings and um, before, like when the war first started, but then also, like at least in Warsaw, when the Nazis were kicked out of Warsaw, they went through the city and anything that was important to what they considered as would be important to the Poles, churches, um, you know, libraries, buildings, they drilled holes into those buildings and they put sticks of dynamite in them and they blew them up. So... Um, I mean, over 85% of the city was completely destroyed, uh, which actually, you know, it's interesting because when they came back and they wanted to rebuild Warsaw, they took these large chunks and they built new around old. So almost like an entire city jigsaw puzzle. Um, so so the city of Warsaw today is still considered like a historic, like part of the historic heritage um, because of how much old has been incorporated into the rebuilding of Warsaw. Another thing about the books in particular is is how much hope they brought to your character. Yes. And and how much peace and even, you know, dare say entertainment. What I learned from your story is it wasn't just the Polish people with Jewish heritage who had been forced into the ghettos or, you know, put on put on trains and sent God knows where who were suffering. It was every single Pole a- a- across the country. Absolutely. And, and you know, these books were a way to offer a little bit of escape from the rations and the bombing and and everything else that was going on. And I love the idea of these secret libraries. And I guess that's that's true, right? There were Absolutely. these little, you know, secretive libraries where people could could get books that the Nazis didn't want you to have. Yeah. Well, and, and even just books in general. At one point, all of the libraries were completely closed to to um, Polish people. They were not allowed to have any library books whatsoever. Um, and the bookstores only sold German books. I mean, there was nothing for people to come and get. And so these these um, librarians for Warsaw's public library had secret little libraries that they would set up, that they would bring to people. Um, they would bring people these books. But then, of course, once they had a secret library, they could use what they'd been hiding in the secret warehouse as well. So, I mean, they really did. They saved these books and they were still able to really give them to the public. And, you know, um, they were saying that that before the library closed, there were so many patrons of the library, despite the cost of being a member of the library had gone up. Or I, I guess there was like an annual fee that they had to pay. People still paid it because they were so desperate for books, especially young people. They would read books about travel Um, Children would read stories about fairy tales. But, you know, even inside the ghetto, they had these secret libraries that were happening. They would have people who had personal libraries at home would put them into suitcases and carry them around to, you know, their quote unquote patrons. Um, And um, and Miss Bassett Temkin 
she actually had set up this entire thing to seem like it was an orphan center. And there were these secret shelves that would shift around. So it would seem like it was like a dollhouse. And when you shifted it, there'd be a row of books behind it. I mean, just really, really incredible how hard people strove to still ensure that people could have the gift of reading. And you and your book pay particular attention to the children and the children library. Yes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think that that war, I mean, war is such a horrible thing. But especially if you think about a child that's been robbed of its childhood. Childhood is such an ephemeral, such a beautiful time. And to have that completely stripped away, it's, it's something that's just so heartbreaking. And so at least with stories, there's an opportunity to still sort of reclaim a semblance of that. Is there a particular book that you go back to time and time again when you when you need a little boost or you need to feel comforted or you're looking for an escape? Um, gosh, you know, I just there's just so many that I absolutely love. But I also confess I'm a total Jane Austen fan. So <laughs> so I do often go to go to Jane Austen. In fact, I try to read a classic a month. And um, and my classic this month is I'm going to be re-listening to uh, Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I say listen because I listen to a lot of books. I'm in. I'm in the chauffeur stage of motherhood, and so I am driving constantly, and so uh, I get to listen to a lot of books that way. <laughs> listen, you're you're consuming books. It doesn't matter exactly. Yeah, exactly. it is. My heart still knows the story, regardless of if it's going <laughs> through my ears or my eyes. <laughs> so another thing that your your main character Sophia struggles with is this sense of helplessness that she wants to do more to help those being mistreated, like her friend Yanina, who, you know, who is Jewish, who, who gets put into the ghetto, but doesn't feel she can do everything she can because it would mean death for herself. And I think that's right. a feeling that's relatable nowadays, maybe not on that same level where you're facing death if you speak up when you see someone being mistreated or things being done badly. But how do we stand up for what we believe in when you know, without becoming victims ourselves. Yeah. And, and I mean, that really is the struggle. Um, and that's something that, you know, she truly did struggle with because one voice is one voice. How do you get an orchestra around you when people are so afraid of speaking up as well? And um, and that's that is the difficult part. And it really is just the bravery to stand up and do it. And, um, you know, I, I think that also like building community around you of like minded people, which you know, is really ultimately what the Polish resistance ended up doing um, to be able to get to the point where they had the Warsaw Uprising. And I think also, you know, by including that sentiment in your book, I think there are a lot of people who in hindsight will always say so-and-so should have done more or, you know, people should have done more. Why didn't more, you know, if more people have banded together. But I, I, I do appreciate that you kind of hit on how terrifying it was no matter who you were. Right. And that, that that it's easy to say now when you've had time and space and distance, you should have done more. But in the heat of the moment or in, in those years themselves, that that was something that was not that easy to do. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, it was interesting because I, I did go to Warsaw for two weeks and I did my research while I was there and um, and, you know, just talking to some of the Polish people while I was there as well. And, you know, they would say things like, well, if there was one family in an apartment complex who was hiding Jews, they would arrest and or kill everybody in the apartment complex just for one family that was keeping them. Because in the Nazis' perspective, they all should have known. And so, you know, so when you think about the consequence, especially of like your children could be killed, your grandparents could be killed, and, um, and the Nazis really saw the Poles as being 
just slightly above um, Jewish people. And so their intention was really to kill most of the Polish population and turn the remaining few like 15 or 20 percent into slaves and make almost like a new Germany in Poland. Um, So they had no qualms at all with just killing people. So if there was somebody who was harboring Jews, they could easily kill the entire complex without having. I mean, there were no you know, there was no repercussion for them because they were the ones who were in charge. So it was it was an incredibly, incredibly dangerous um, period in history for everyone, which I think makes those feats of bravery all the more admirable because they knew exactly what was on the line and they still did what was right. And and that's why, you know, I think these books are so important to write to really give like their a take a testament to their bravery so that it can continue on and people can always remember what they've done. Needless to say, this book taking place in the time period where it takes place, there are characters who die. Yeah. I do like the way you have Zofia honor the dead. Thank in, you. In that she does things that either they stood for in life for the for the rest of her life, or she'll try to or she tries and 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 does the things that she knew that they always wanted to do. And I just think that's a really nice way to honor people who were taken to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it was it was um, even with writing this book, it was it was difficult just because there were so many dark and horrible things that happened in Poland. And I tried to um, to like, I don't want to say gently show that, but essentially I was I was really trying not to be gratuitous with it because my goal of this book wasn't to showcase the horrors. I feel like we all know the horrors. I wanted to showcase the bravery and I really wanted to showcase the Polish fighting spirit and and what everybody did to try so hard to really establish um, the strength of, of this is Poland and we're going to fight for what's ours. Okay, so now you've written about librarians working to save precious works of literature in Poland. Mm-hmm. You've written about librarians working as spies in Portugal. You seem to establish yourself as as someone focused on telling stories about book lovers during difficult times. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's next? Um, so um, I can't tell you the name of it yet because we haven't gotten it all up and running and everything. But I'm uh, frantically writing it because my deadline is coming soon. It does. It is about books. Um, it's not. It's not about anybody saving books per se. But book. But books are still very much an important part of it. Um, and this one is actually set in Nottingham, England. So I'm going back to England again. You're tapping into your Jane Austen fandom. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, I, because I had written the last bookshop in London. So there may possibly be a character cameo um, in this new book that was in the last bookshop in London. And readers always love that. And so do writers. And <laughs> we love these characters. It's so wonderful to kind of get to see them walk on stage again for a couple minutes. I would always think that one of the toughest parts about being a writer and, and when you're writing standalone books and not a series is when you, you know, you finally stop, you stop writing, you you, you put their story to bed. And, and now you basically have lost an extension of yourself and an extension of your family, I would think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, all of these characters are built with with my heart. Like, you know, even how you were saying that, unfortunately, there are characters in the Keeper of Hidden Books who don't make it. Um, Like when those characters die, I'm crying. Like this is why I can't write in public, right? (laughs) Because I'll just start bawling in the middle of Starbucks and people are like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with her? But I mean, I get so like my heart gets so completely wrapped in these characters as well. Um, Because I even if you don't see it on the page, 
They have a whole backstory. They've got a whole future that they're aspiring toward. There's this whole other world behind every single character that you read on the page. And um, and you can't help but fall in love with them. Madeline Martin, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us. The new book is The Keeper of Hidden Books. It's a gem. I've already passed it along to a few friends of mine who I know we're going to love it. Thank you so much and can't wait to read the next one. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's such an honor to be here again. <laughs> Take care. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time, follow me down the true crime path. She's dead. Oh, Jose. Why did you do that? I didn't. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. I'll stick to you. Only tell me the truth. I'm telling the truth. She was dead when I went in there. That clip is from the 1932 film The King Murder, based on the real-life murder of the woman known as the Broadway Butterfly. Next time we meet, I'll highlight the new thriller based on one of New York City's most notorious unsolved murder cases. Until then, catch me if you can on Twitter and Instagram at Lisa T. Books. I'm Lisa T. Keep turning those pages.